0: Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. I hope that your Christmas was fantastic. I know some of you are still celebrating, probably have a couple more Christmases to go potentially. Whatever your schedule looks like, Thank you so much for taking time out of your Sunday morning to spend it here with us. If we haven't met before, my name is Tyler. I get to be the pastor of a church called Anostasis. We meet every single Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Civic Center in downtown Lima. And I'm so grateful that you would join us online this morning. And Christmas is an interesting thing, right? Like it's a really, really interesting thing. We're celebrating the birth of Christ, but there is this pressure to provide gifts for one another and to get the right gifts. And my wife Hannah and I, we have a couple of children, Ainsley and Leo. And a couple of years ago, I bought a kitchen for my daughter Ainsley. I was so excited about this present. She was like two and a half, gonna turn three really soon. And so we bought this kitchen that I had to put together. Now me not realizing how long it was gonna take to put this kitchen together, I waited until the night before we were gonna open up gifts to put this thing together. So I sit down, it's like 9 p.m. and I open up the box and as soon as I open it up, I'm not even joking with you, there had to have been 127 parts in there. And so to my surprise, I went, well, I guess I know what I'm doing with the rest of my night. And I found out not just the rest of my night, like the rest of that morning. It was like 3 or 3.30 in the morning. By the time I finished up, the instructions barely had any words on them. They were mostly just pictures and charts of what I was supposed to do. And so I remember putting this thing together and the thing that kept me going was gonna was thinking, she's gonna love this. This is gonna be the greatest gift ever. She's gonna see this kitchen and light up and it is all gonna be worth it it so the next morning Ainsley runs out we're getting ready to open up gifts we get to the end and she pulls the wrapping off of the kitchen and she goes oh yay a kitchen and she's excited for about four minutes until she turns around and she grabs the $6 present and a bunch of boxes, puts those together, and plays with that. And I sat there and I went, oh my goodness, you have gotta be kidding me. I spent all night putting this kitchen together. Honey, you're gonna have to play with this kitchen. Like, I am not kidding. Whatever it is, dad's sweat equity that went into this, my blood, sweat, and many tears that I cried putting together this 127-piece kitchen. Baby girl, I need you to play with this thing. Anyways, it didn't matter. To my daughter, she had found this little $6 present that she had opened early in the gift opening process in a couple of boxes, and she was happy as could be. And as she ran around our living room playing, our room was a mess, right? Boxes. Boxes wrapping paper everywhere. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning, kind of sitting in a living room or a space where there's empty boxes, wrapping paper. Maybe there's food from celebrating yesterday that y'all had not even put away yet. And so your kitchen's kind of a wreck. Wherever you find yourself today, my hope is is that you can relax, just settle in and receive what I believe God's got for you. But I also recognize that in this season, because of the pressure and the anticipation that comes with the holidays, so much of it can be built up and we get to the other side of the holidays and we think, so what now? what happens now we've just worked for all this or we've had family coming in and out and it's been fun or maybe it's been painful maybe it's been difficult and you find yourself asking the question at the end of this year looking forward into the next one so what now and that's what we're going to talk about today but before we jump in together let's pray together father i thank you for who you are god i thank you that you're faithful and that you're good Father, I thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, that we're able to celebrate his coming to earth to save us from our sins. Father, I pray that every single day that would be at the forefront of our minds. Lord, I pray that in these moments that we share that you'd be honored and glorified wherever we find ourselves today. Lord, I pray that your presence would meet us where we are. We would have a tangible sense of your nearness. God, I pray over the words that I'm about to speak. God, I pray over the ones that I'm speaking that you would only let me speak what you want spoken. God, what you don't want spoken, omit those from my vocabulary today. Lord, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified in Jesus' name, amen. And before we jump into today's scripture passage, let me give you some context on where we are. Jesus' ministry is in full swing and he's kind of a big deal at this point. He's got great crowds following him. The chapter before in Matthew four, it just says that like the multitudes, The great crowds are following Jesus. And so he goes up on a mountainside. And there are times that Jesus goes up on a mountainside to retreat and to pray. In this situation, he's not. In this situation, he's going up on the mountainside to make room for the great crowds that are following him. And it says this in verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach him or teach them. So it says disciples there, it really is a tremendously large crowd. We're talking hundreds, thousands of people sitting here waiting to hear Jesus speak. And Jesus says this, verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Let's stop right there. Jesus has already said a couple of things that if you are not familiar with where this passage is going, You would hear this and go, what is he saying? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, In that culture and in that day and age, poor in spirit means truly poor, not just materially poor, not just lacking some materials or resources, money, whatever the case may be, no, truly poor, meaning they are emotionally poor, they are relationally poor, they are lacking hope, they are lacking light, they are lacking what they need to exist each day. And so it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is essentially saying, blessed are those who society would not normally call blessed. Blessed are those who society would not normally recognize as favored. Jesus is saying something very, very, very important here. As he's saying it, he's challenging their cultural Perspective, and this is not something that would have been a widely accepted notion. And to believe it or not, their culture, even though this took place a couple of thousand years before ours, is not all that different than ours. You see, they believe that your material possessions, maybe your social standing, your significance, your importance, your position of power, that indicated how blessed, how favored you were. By God, And so to a group of people who views blessing or success or importance in the way that they do, this would have been crazy. And like I said, their viewpoint is not that different than the way ours is today. And so if you were in that crowd, you might be sitting there thinking, this dude is crazy. What he is saying makes absolutely no sense. How is it that I'm blessed when all of these things are happening? And here's the point of what Jesus is saying. Blessed are you in these circumstances because then you will see, you will experience, you will feel the power and the presence and the wonder of God. Blessed are those who mourn because the Comforter will comfort them. Blessed are the pure in heart because they're gonna get to see God's heart. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of God for you will inherit eternal life. The blessing is even though your situation is tough, or even though the world may not call your situation great, you will get to see the greatness of God. I'm only 31, but I am old enough to know that while kind words are helpful and they can help keep me in the right frame of mind, they don't actually change my soul. The only thing that can change my heart, change my mind, change my soul in the way that it needs to change is the power and the presence of god so let's look at it like this blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are the pure in heart blessed are those who mourn blessed are the peacemakers blessed are the humble because each of them will experience god in the midst of their circumstances they're going to receive fulfillment even when their circumstances are difficult they're out of control their fulfillment or their peace comes from god and god alone He continues on in verse 11, and he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, or falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And this is so great, because even if you were able to stomach the first portion, you were able to gather what Jesus was saying in the first portion. Okay, yeah, okay, I guess... I'm blessed when I'm poor in spirit or I mourn because God's gonna be present in my circumstances. But if you heard this next part, I don't care who you are, you would struggle to not say, okay, you lost me, Jesus. Blessed am I when people are mean to me. I'm blessed when people hate me. I'm blessed when my life is potentially at risk for following you. In what way, shape, or form, Jesus, Does that make sense? Throughout this entire sermon, Jesus, you've been saying some crazy stuff. You said things like, I'm blessed when my life is at its hardest, or I'm blessed when the world doesn't think much of me, but my society would tell me completely different than everything you're saying. Jesus, help me understand. And he says this in verse 12, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Him addressing it this way would have meant a lot to the Jewish people who were in attendance that day. He's speaking to them because they would have mostly spent a lot of time reading and even memorizing and studying the lives of the prophets. You see, the prophets would have been held in such high esteem, and this is kind of ironic because the cultures or the generations that the prophets lived in wouldn't have held them in as high of esteem. You see, the prophet's job was to communicate a message from God and to communicate the heart of God To the people, and often they were communicating something to a generation or to a people who were being disobedient, not following God with the way that they needed to be. And so their message would have been a difficult one to stomach. So the culture then would have had disdain or would not have wanted to hear the words from the prophet. But in that day and age, they recognized the importance of the prophets. Words, so later on, those words would have been revered, memorized, read, learned, and fully focused in on. So what Jesus is saying to them, and they would have grabbed a hold of this is, when you're persecuted, when you're hated, when you're treated with contempt because of me, you're being treated in the same way the prophets were being treated before you. And you know how much you respect the prophets. Essentially saying, by enduring this persecution, you're gonna build a legacy. By enduring this persecution, you're going to leave a lasting impact, and you're going to do the job of a prophet, and that's to communicate the heart of God to people. You're going to build a legacy that transcends generations, but you're also, and more importantly, going to inherit eternal life through faith in Jesus. Jesus is saying, fix your eyes on the things of eternity, not the present situation, not the present circumstances, not the things that are weighing you down, fix your eyes on eternity. Do not look at your present concerns or your present joy or present success as the destination. Stop chasing momentary satisfaction, but fix your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on eternity. There is a bigger plan at play here. There is a bigger purpose to all of this. And so maybe you need to hear it like this. If you're a business owner, you recognize that you didn't start a business or invent a product for the first year's gains. Right? You didn't start a business to pay tomorrow's electric bill. That's not why you went into business. You went into business thinking 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road at what you wanted to build and what you wanted to invest in. You thought about what the reward was going to be in the future. You weren't thinking about how am I going to fix Tuesday? In the same way, we have to keep our eyes fixed on eternity. We cannot look at our momentary light afflictions, look at these present situations as the end or as the destination, but we have to fix our eyes on eternity. Otherwise, we will sacrifice the things of eternity for momentary comforts. We're going to find ourselves in a place that goes, hey, I can't look beyond Tuesday. And listen, I've been there having a hard time seeing beyond my present situation where it's been so difficult, so overwhelming. And somebody says, hey, what do you think going to happen in the next few months? And I'm going, man, I'm just trying to survive this afternoon right now. And some of you find yourself in that place right now. And I'm sensitive to it. I understand it. And more than that, God is sensitive to it. He understands where you are. He feels your pain. He knows what you're walking through and know it's difficult. And it can be really, really tempting for you to say, I just wanna chase some momentary relief. You're like, I just need the world to stop spinning for just a second. Things just keep coming at me time and time and time again. And I know this, if you're not careful, you can find yourself sacrificing what's most important for what feels most urgent. Whatever season you're in, let me encourage you with something today. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and do not sacrifice what is most important for what feels most urgent. I've got a friend who I went to lunch with a little while ago and as we were sitting there talking about what's happened over the past couple of years, we were kind of catching up. We hadn't seen each other very much. He began to unpack what his last year or so has looked like and he said, yeah, you know, I've lost my father to an illness. And then he said, and then shortly after that, I actually lost one of my grandparents to an illness. And then he said, I had to change jobs and switch my career. And that brought a bunch of chaos. And then a close friend of mine, uh, they were pregnant with a baby and they lost their baby shortly before delivery. And we were walking really close with them through that. And then on top of that, just kind of everything else that's going on in the world, this has been a chaotic 18 months. This has been a wild 18 months. Months and my heart broke for him as he began to detail every one of those aspects that hit him continuously. And then he said something. He said, you know, almost nothing can catch me by surprise at this point. And and I know that I should be more angry and maybe someday I will be, but I am trying to live with an eternal focus, an eternal perspective. I know I'm gonna see those guys once once again. And God has provided for my family and for me. Even in the midst of all the chaos and even in the midst of all the turmoil, I've actually gotten to see a faithful father who loves me more than I could ever ask, think, or imagine. And so while this has been a horrible season, God has been present and I've seen him and I've sensed him. And my perspective being on eternity, not on just this present pain, has really helped me walk forward with my eyes fixed on Jesus. And as I thought about that, I thought about how easy it would be for him to just try to remove himself from the pain for just a moment, turn into a substance, alcohol or drugs to say, I just want to nullify this pain for just a minute. It'd be so easy for him to try to, you know, nullify the pain by just uprooting what it is that God had called him to do and just say, you know what? I'm not doing that anymore. God, I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to go do this other thing over here. It's way less difficult for me in this season. I'm not going to work on this. I'm not going to keep doing the thing you're asking for me to do. In fact, God, I'm so frustrated now for the next while, at least I'm done with you. And it would have been so easy for him to say that. And for many of us sitting here going, yeah, I could understand how he got there, right? So much pain in such a short amount of time. But he had the right perspective. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. And so even though he's walking through the most difficult of circumstances, tremendous loss, change, pressure, anxiety, stress, He's got the right perspective, an eternal perspective. He's not allowing the pain that exists right now to determine his decisions. He's not going to chase comfort in the arms of somebody else or in a substance. He's not going to chase momentary false peace. He's not sacrificing what's most important for what feels most urgent. Rather, he's fixing his eyes eternally, and he's going to allow God to reveal himself to him in his life. And while the process may feel longer on the front end on the back end he's going to have experienced things that very few people get to experience unless they place their full trust in god and throughout the past year as a church we've actually talked about our perspective a lot we've talked about it on different things whether it be money or relationships whether it be material goods or our walk with jesus a spouse, a significant other, how we acquire joy or happiness. We've walked through all these different ways that we can chase importance or significance in the peace that society tells us we need. And society is going to tell you a lot of different things, right? Like our culture will tell you so many things that you need. If you turn on your TV, you watch a YouTube video, you don't have to go very far before you see something like you need wider teeth. You know and it's like maybe I do. I probably do need wider teeth, but the reality is is wider teeth going to change my soul? It might make me happier for a few weeks. It might maybe happier for a few months. But the reality is it's not going to bring healing, peace and hope to my soul in a lasting, substantial way. And so we talked time and time and time again that the only true path to healing and to health is in Jesus. And Jesus offers us the purpose and the significance we're looking for in verse 13, as he says this, you are the salt of the earth. You are, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I love it. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are, you are. You are, wherever you're at today, I want you to receive that and feel that, that your identity that God has given you, that Jesus is declaring over you, is that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's not something that you have to earn. He doesn't say you will be. You will become if you earn it, if you work hard enough. This is his grace in action. Remember, Jesus hasn't been crucified. He hasn't died and risen again yet. The sacrifice hasn't taken place for your sins to be forgiven. Yet Jesus is looking at a group of people who have already placed their trust in him and he's given them their identity. And he's saying, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. I want you to receive that today because throughout this sermon, Jesus has been giving them the perspective they need. He's saying, place your trust in God. Don't chase other things. Don't care about what society says. Don't pay attention to what the metric of success is from people who do not follow me. Rather, fix your eyes on me. Count yourself blessed when difficult situations show up because in those, I'm going to show up. My faithfulness will be to you. God is going to reveal himself to you. You're going to experience the peace, the joy, the comfort, the hope that only comes from God in your life when you're walking through those situations. And then he says, check it out. You're refining the earth. Yeah, you. The ones who've been outcast, the ones who've been cast aside, the ones whose society has overlooked, I've called you mine. And I've called you the salt of the earth. And you're going to refine the earth. And because of me, you are the light of the world. You're going to bring people to salvation. And even if you don't have the material significance that the world will look on and see as you process your grief, as you process your difficult situations, the world will look on you and say, wow. Wow what resolve they have, what stability, what peace, what grace to navigate these situations the way they're navigating them and they're gonna see God through you because you are the light of the world. He says a city that's set on a hill can't be hidden. Such a city is a prominent city and it can't be hidden. If you see such a city from a distance, it's hard to take your eyes off of it. In the same way, Jesus wants his people to live their life in a way that is visible and attractive to others, that expresses the beauty of God's grace in their life. And then he says this, you do all this that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. The purpose in letting your light shine by doing good works is so that others will see God and they will glorify God. Jesus gives them a command. He essentially says to them at this point, hey, go and reveal the heart of God to people. But don't do it with just your words, but do it with your actions. Your actions are paramount. Your actions are monumental. Do it with the way that you live your life. Now listen, our words, they're important with sharing the gospel. They're foundational. We have to use our words. But the reality is our actions need to follow our words. Otherwise our words will ring hollow, meaningless, pointless to the community around us. So if we say God is gracious and forgiving, yet we aren't gracious and we're bitter, we will not show the heart of God. If we say, hey, God is so great and generous, yet we're selfish and we hold everything with a tight fist, we're not revealing the heart of God. But if we do say God is generous and then our lives reflect giving, if we do say God is forgiving and we reflect people who are quick to forgive, quick to release forgiveness to others, we're going to reveal the heart of God through the way that we live and we will be light to the world. Charles Spurgeon once said that the object of our shining is not that men may see how good we are, nor even see us at all, but that they may see grace in us and God in us and cry, what a father these people must have. And what a faithful God we do have. Scripture says that the light shines into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And the darkness cannot and the darkness will not ever overcome it. So here we are with an opportunity. Looking back at 2021 and looking ahead at 2022, no matter where you find yourself today, mountaintop or valley, somewhere in between, we have an opportunity to get our perspective right, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to put our eyes on God, his righteousness, his grace, and to walk through our life situations fully placing our trust in him. We've got the opportunity to express to the world around us how good our God is is by living our lives in a way that honors and glorifies him and communicates his grace to the world around us. So here's how it happens. When you feel overwhelmed, when you find yourself in a tremendously difficult situation, when you don't know what to do, pray, cast all your cares on God, for he cares for you. When you need help, Ask God to strengthen you and then find another follower of Jesus and share what is going on in your world and help them strengthen you as you walk. Together, when you come up against difficult situations, don't allow your perspective of that situation to define your perspective of God, but rather fix your eyes on Jesus in such a way that you allow your perspective of your God to define your situation. You recognize that God is faithful and He is good, and He's more powerful than anything you can face. So, where we fix our eyes matters. Today, I hope as a church, we can commit as we exit 2021 and we look ahead at 2022 to fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and let his light shine to everyone around us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that your grace meets us where we are and that no matter what we face, no matter what we walk through, no matter what we go through, God, you're with us. God, I thank you that we're never alone. And Lord, I pray over every person who's watching this video or listening to this podcast, God, that they would experience your nearness now. Whatever they're facing, whatever they're walking through, Lord, they would have the right perspective, God, that you're faithful and that you're powerful, but that you're mighty and loving and you care for every need that they have. ask for all of this in Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week as you join us 10.30 a.m. at the Civic Center in downtown Lima. I can't wait to see you then. Have a great Sunday. Enjoy your time with your family.